0: Well, uh, I'm going to let Jared take over uh, now as he gives us message. I'm grateful again for the chance. If you've been here to hear from uh, Eric Shrimpton on on the first week, and then Eric Ulianto, and uh, Ashish, for those of you who are unfamiliar with him, hopefully you were here and got to hear his word to to you. And last last week, uh, Delano. Um, I was praying for him before the message, and, and let him know that, and he wrote to me afterwards, and he said, "Hey, Pastor Mark, sorry, I didn't pay attention to the time I went uh, over time, and I said, You're forgiven." <laughs> so uh, I'm sure uh, I, I know Delano's quite quite a blessing, and, uh, and and we continue with that too. God's given us tremendous gifts even just within this congregation, uh, with Eric filling in. Uh, Drew Trends will be preaching with some regularity, maybe about every other month in, in the year ahead, too. A, a pastor who you heard preach not too long ago, and Eric Ulianto will be doing sort of the same, but even without uh, them, we have more who can, can give, uh, just uh, do a great job of stewarding God's Word, and Jared's one of those uh, men. When he and I first met, uh, I think there was a bit of a kindred spirit I think the first time we met was at Szechuan Bistro, really sat down and talked over Chinese food and felt like we could talk for a long time, some similar interests in reading and spiritual formation and in talking about the things of God, but also wanting to be faithful to living that out in vocation, at home, as husbands, as, um, as fathers, and, and just being faithful to what God's called us to do. Uh, Jared's a deep thinker. And he uh, does a great job of mulling over God's word. And so we have the benefit of hearing some of what he's been learning as he's been thinking about Colossians. So I'm going to hand the time over to Jared and let him and his uh, poison ivy ridden body come up and share God's word with us. Thanks.
1: I'm thankful that is mostly past. Um, the last three weeks I've struggled with. Uh, I think severe the nurse said it was the worst case she 's seen this season, but I just had uh, my lower bottom three feet uh two feet of my extremities down there just blistered and red and it, i it 's mostly past now i don 't think i 'll itch this morning i 'm um, <laughs> uh, Jared Madal and excited to Uh, just share and um, join the ministry of God's Word this morning. Um, I'll begin by reading our passage. And if you've prepared um, at some level in uh, just presenting God's Word or diving into a passage, maybe you can relate to this. But, you know, after trying to soak this in for, you know, I, I Land on this maybe two months ago, and then the last month slowly seeking in, soaking it in more and more each week. Um, Maybe you've been in this situation before, like finally, like the gravity of it hits you, and you're like, so that's where I've been the last two days is just the gravity of it kind of hitting me, and like, okay, oh now I need to present. (laughs) But just um, there's enough here that I've just continued to realize, wow, this is rich, Um, but it keeps me excited to share it with you. Um, I'm also going to be Uh, using my reading glasses, like our uh, senior pastor. Um, All right, Colossians 2.6. I'm going to read from the ESV. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised, or you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him Hmm. greetings again redeemer to those here i can see those online i know some of you have already communicated with uh that are remote joining so uh, excited to join here, um, and I do count this as a family gathering. Alex, I'm going to test to make sure. Okay, this is working. Um, have you ever realized that it's often what we know that gets us in trouble? Sometimes we, we can blame it on not knowing enough of maybe the content we're supposed to know, and we wish we would have known 100% when we got into the situation rather than what we thought we knew and then st- realized we're stumbling through it. Um, but if we think, as I thought about that, I realized, you know, if we didn't know anything at all, we'd probably get in less trouble. <laughs> we may not be uh, desiring things that we now know about. We not, may not be thinking, distracted, um, by things, um, and there are often probably regrets we have of where when we think, I wish that had never happened. Maybe it, it only would never have happened if I would not have known it to start with and pursued that avenue. Um, or I wish I hadn't done that. Um, and, and that's where we start thinking like you know time machine uh, situations. Like I wish I could go back and just like. Erase, you know, those things. Like, I think so often it comes back to a situation of once we have knowledge of something, there's something that gets ignited inside how God made our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. There's something that gets fixated on that knowledge. Knowledge isn't bad, in itself, but it ignites, I think, something inside of us that we can't escape, and we have to do something about it or bury it deep, which is doing something about it too. But either way, I th- I, I've really um, been mulling about that, and I, I think that relates to our passage this week. Um, as we go into that, um, you know, I think about... On on a macro sense, um, in the world, there are so many crises in the world. Like the world, if we just zoom out, there are our world is not at peace, and we and we can say that in our world that we interact with, our circles that we interact with, um, on a bigger scale, city scale, nation scale, region, global scale. There's not peace um, in our world. And um, there, that can be interior then as well, right? Trouble and regrets, things that are going on interior or interpersonal. Um, there's not peace going on there. Um, there is uh, all is not well. Um, I talked to again already just about the trouble with knowledge, right? What do we do once we know, right? And I feel like in some ways people are talking about this tipping point that we're in of um, uh, either American politics or uh, economic strain that's going on, um, issues, power plays that are going on. Um, uh, in, in other countries, right are those tipping points technologically how we 're doing things digitally um, through uh, thing, whether it 's um, from astrophysics to rocketry to artificial intelligence, social media like these technology is advancing, accelerating, and people are talking more and more about these tipping points so but really, that's also just advancement of knowledge. So, is knowledge the issue? Like, sh- should we just scale back? Like, r- we can't exactly backpedal. But what should we do? Should we not know as much? Um, th- there's a trouble, and, and we or we get ourselves into trouble with what we know. Um. Here's a okay. I also want to just draw us back to, this has been the trouble from the beginning. What was the first crisis on planet Earth? It was that Eve and Adam reached for the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That word knowledge, right? was there from the very beginning. God said that there was this tree that they should not touch, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, and afterwards, when, when sin and shame entered in and, and they lost relationship with God, God said they, they can 't reach out for that tree of life that 's also there because they have this it, it wouldn 't be good for them anymore. Not that the tree of life was never good for them it 's not good for them anymore now that they 're tainted with sin and shame and knowledge that has now ignited things in them and and that needs to be healed before they get the tree of knowledge they'll get the tree of knowledge we all we all will that's promised to us um, in the new kingdom but not yet uh so just again macro scale and real quickly i pulled this up um just ge- geographically here's some things going on in the world right like we are not at peace um, these are geopolitical conflicts of territory and disputes, um, wars and battles. Um, uh, United States is in there, not because we're necessarily being attacked um, or there's border conflicts, but um, maybe I could say we kind of pick fights as well around the world, right? Like we're engaged um, in, in places even if it's remote, and, and, and we've, we've got a stake at least in, in places uh, geopolitically around the world. So, again, macro scale, like big scale, big picture, the world is not at peace. Um, in James, we're reminded um, where this comes from right? Uh, James 4 says, where does this all come from? It comes from these desires that battle in us. Um, And I think we see this connection in Colossians that there's going to be that tie to its knowledge and these forces and powers that have engaged us in this battle for desires and what we're going to do with it. Um, we have action because we have desires. I, I think that's an important connection to make in this as well, right? If we were not desirous, we wouldn't act. It's not desires that are bad. It's not knowledge in itself that's bad or desires in itself that are bad. But we, we act because our desires are out of order. We, we act because our knowledge is incomplete and impure. Um, I'm thinking about... Uh, I spent some time, and I don't have time to go into this, but it was fascinating just to start thinking about even the American Revolution um, and, and what went on there um, right in 19, uh, 1777. Um, there was the Articles of Confederation, and, and America was uh, declaring independence and, and trying to form... Um, a uh, federated states, you know that that could have uh, sovereignty apart from Britain, um, and and the Revolutionary War engaged, right? Like these, that that was them saying, "This is what something we need to do to have." things set right, right? Like, it is not, like, the, like the Declaration of Independence says, it is not right for a sovereign to do these things. It's not right for a king to do these things. Therefore, we have justification and rightness to take arms and to do these things for liberty, for things to be set right. It's not right for these, this power to be out of, uh, out of whack in those ways. So we're going to do these things. Um, well, again, how, how do you practically live that out once you've declared independence, how do you practically declare? How do you practically live out freedom once you've won it? Uh, I thought about how, in by by ten years later, um, the Articles Confederation that were holding this that the, that the states had said this is how we're going to be independent had fallen apart. The states were not working together, and so they had to come up with the Declaration of in, the sorry the the Constitution to form a union uh, with a centralized government because practically it just it just didn't work to say, we are independent, we're going to now be free. There had to be some practical working out of that. Um, I see this a little bit in Colossians as well, is Paul's going to call the Colossians to, you're free, you have victory in Christ, but there is this middle ground of okay, what do you do? with Like, what about daily life? What about these strains? What about these desires? What about this knowledge we have? What about people telling us we have to know this, do this, follow this? What do we do in those, in that circumstances? And I don't think the Colossians were saying, we're not free or Christ is not the victor. Um, it was this middle ground. And in, in how do you walk out the practical part of that? Um, and so even now, Um, Right? In in Colossae, there were these forces and powers, right? In the Greek world, they really believed that there were the visible residents of the city, and then there were the invisible residents of the city, the gods, uh, goddesses, the demigods that had power and sway over uh, the geography, the weather, the cla- right everything that was going on, and so they had to appease these gods. And there was, uh, if there was a war going on, they had to appease uh, Mars, the god of war. They had to appease, um, right? They'd want to appease Apollo for music or Aphrodite for love, right? Like there were these these gods that they knew were they knew there were forces in the world. Um, now we're grown up and modern and moved beyond that. Um, but still, it, it, I, I see so much of the same things when uh, you have an example would be a, a politician that is so clear and f- in his uh, campaign speech about this is how, you know, I am the answer for these things and these are how these things are going to be accomplished. And, and, and then so often midterms, we hear, well, there are forces at work. What? <laughs> right? Like, nobody talks about that in a campaign speech, right? Um, the, the economic forces, right? The, the market economy, the, right? Like, these, these things, you know, the societal pressures, right? Like, people still allude and uh, give excuse to what's going on to things they cannot name, Right? The, the forces and powers, and and we've given them modern context and constructs. And uh, I took economics in college, and you learn these this terminology of what you know how checks, how uh, you know, demand happens in the world and supply and. Um, I was sitting with Bill Currents the other night and hearing just, like, the sad story in some Like, it hurts my heart to hear some of the market forces of how supply comes into even department stores and how that gets turned and, like, the consumer market is, like, forced to consume what they may not even want. Um, I So I'm, I'm bringing that up to, like, I think... Our modern world can relate to the Colossian, Colossian, uh, sorry, um, those in Colossae that there are forces at work that we're tempted to surrender to and say, well, that's the way it works. Um, Paul's gonna say differently. Um, So again, uh, it's, it's just, it's sometimes easier to forget and move on and just consider that there are things that we should just uh, surrender to. Um, there's some quotes here. Uh, John Flav, who's, who's a Puritan, said, If we were to understand how dear we are to God, our relation to him, our value in his eyes, and how he protects us by his faithful promises and gracious presence, we would not, uh, we would not tremble at every appearance of danger. Brendan Manning says, was his sacrifice and resurrection merely to make nicer men and women with better morals? When the Lord comes streaming into your life, all he asks is that you be astonished that he bothered to come to you at all. Um, That's a type of surrender that's more than just knowledge that Christ is Lord. That's to be astonished is an engagement of desire and will, of saying, you got it, I don't, or right, like, you're above all. Um, and, and I love how Brenda Manning de- develops that further, and just saying, right, like the true sons and daughters of God, that when they come before his throne, they're going to be identified by the ones that have just been astonished by his grace. Um, So let's walk through this um, briefly. We'll, we'll dive in. I'm, that's my intention is just kind of dive in, dive out, and see what we can extract and glean, glean from this. In Colossians uh, six through ten, um, this is this is Paul um, really calling the Colossians to. Where what they first heard. Uh, there was a member of their church, maybe a pastor, leader of their church, Epaphras, that had likely been converted by Paul, um, was now with Paul in prison. Paul may have been in Ephesus at this time, in prison, um, and was writing back uh, to the Colossians, uh, sorry, to, co- the, uh, to the Colossians there. And his words, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Um I think about that as i you know that helps for me be a, a filter and and help me in thinking how do I engage in evangelism, discipleship, sharing with people um, if i'm going to engage in a model of evangelism for example that would not have worked for me i'm going to question it um or or right and, and the only way I know it worked for me is what did work for me, right? Like, and and so I think that's worth us being retrospective in our own life. Like, how did God, how how do we encounter God? Um, Was it through um, a a certain model um, mechanism of uh, evangelism that someone brought to us? Or, you know, so often, right? It, It has to be through the Holy Spirit working through someone, some circumstance, some text. Um, and and going back to that, uh, Paul says, in, is important. As you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Um, in the way that Christ met you personally, get back to that, right? Not philosophically, not objectively, but at your level, personally, in your circumstance. That's what we need to get back to. Um, The rooted, built up, and established, I like how uh, the theologian McLaren talks about this. Um, He says, We possess Christ when we believe with a true faith in him. We are rooted in him. His life flows into us. We draw nourishment from that soil. We are built on him. And in our compact union, we find a real support to a life which is otherwise baseless and blown about like thistle down by every breath. Christian progress is not growing up from Christ as a starting point, but into Christ as the goal. Neither the effortless growth of the tree, nor the toilsome work of the builder, neither is sufficed to represent the whole truth. So McLaren's calling out here, there's a couple of metaphors Paul is saying here. We need to be rooted. We need to be built up and established. Both of those are true. Those are two, two metaphors because neither one would work on its own. There's, there's something about just naturally, organically drawing life from Christ that represents our life in God. And there's something about the toilsome work of pursuing that and establishing and putting brick on brick on brick and, and fine-tuning that mortar in between and waiting for it to set, both of those are true. Both of those are the ways that we grow um, and are established in Christ. And then, abounding in thanksgiving. I think that's a, a crown or an ark that he puts all over there. Is this, and he's going to return to thanksgiving through his letter um, that thanksgiving is needs to be present um i think that's what keeps us alive right like like we can do do a lot of things mechanically um i think i think thankfulness is one of those things that's harder to do mechanically and oftentimes forces us to be real with ourselves or with others um and so what he's calling us to do of course is to be real with god by being thankful in how we relate to him um by him talking about no one taking us captive by philosophy and empty deceit, um, he's going on talking to the Col- to the Colossians about how they really have been torn um, from the first pure faith they've had, to the the cultural mix that they're in. They're they're torn by, there's a Jewish uh, culture segment in Colossae that um, is saying, right, there needs to be adherence to the Jewish laws, um, and that could be circumcision, Sabbath, uh, dietary laws. There are the Greek uh, Individuals or or uh, people that are by na- by nationality Greek, um, that just have this tradition of there are gods to appease, and if we don't, uh, either we're gonna we're gonna stand out like a sore thumb, or they're gonna get angry at us. I think they're still there, I, I, or um, or but something's still happening. Or um, uh, right, like does Jesus tell us? Uh, or does God tell us about how earthquakes don't happen or don't happen? I'm still trying to figure that out because I thought we just sacrificed in this altar and that would stop earthquakes, right? Like there's still that tension of these this Greek uh, cultural appeasement and then this Jewish adherence to the law. And Paul is calling them in these verses uh, that no one to take you captive by that philosophy and empty deceit. Um, people are trying to layer that on top of the simple faith that uh, they received and they're called to walk in. Uh, there's, there's a lot more in there. Um, he ends that by saying that that last phrase in verse 8, not according to Christ. Man, that's, that stands out to me, right? Like if I read that again, um, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And that's not just attack on, not according to Christ. That's Christ. That's everything, right? So he just called out that the philosophies and empty deceit, the human tradition, the elemental spirits of the world—they don't have Christ. They're Christless. They don't have salvation. They don't have connection to God, the Father, the the Creator of the world. They don't have Christ. He's calling that out there. And then, verse 9 For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. That verse 9 For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's, I think, what hit me the most in this whole passage, 6-15. Uh, to um, For in him the whole fullness of dua- deity dwells bodily. Um, that's the most powerful thing <laughs> in the world, in the universe. When God formed man, humans out of mud and dirt in Eden... And breathed life into them. He created them in the image of God. He created them in the whole fullness of deity. He He had the image of God as his intent for humans. And we rebelled, failed, were incapable of fulfilling that. Um, God raised up Israel, um, which rebelled, failed, was incapable. Um, I like N.T. Wright talks about Jesus was Israel that walked around, right? Like Jesus became all that Israel was supposed to be. And in that he became all that Adam was supposed to be. And as we re-identify ourselves from who We've been born to be as sinful, rebellious, empty and incapable, and identify with Christ, we become who God wants us to be. And the answer is in Christ in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Like, that is the pivot point of this whole thing. I, maybe right even the whole Bible, I believe, is Christ had the whole fullness of deity in him. He was all that. He was all that he was supposed to be. He lived out the submission to God. As, as we think about Christ, sorry, I'll, I should move on. There, I'm going to return to this. This is, But this is the main point, is Christ denied himself, lived selflessly. To give us an example, not just because we're to deny and shut ourselves down and shut ourselves down and and close ourselves out, but because By aligning ourselves in the submission to God, we start living out who we always were supposed to be. Um, And He's able to dwell in us fully and make all things new. Uh, In the next part, uh, okay, I'm going to, I think this quote as well from Flavel has um, good relevance here too. There's not such a pleasant history for you to read in all the world as the history of your own lives. If you would sit down and record fr- from the beginning, hitherto, what God has been to you and done for you, what evidences and outbreakings of his mercy, faithfulness, and love there have been in the conditions you have passed through. Right? Like that, there's, there's a worthiness in recounting how God has been merciful, faithful, and loving to us in every condition of our life. Um, It's not self-centered to do that. Um, It's giving glory to God. It's actually putting some center, centric perspective on God when we reconsider our own history, when I consider Jared's history in terms of what has God been to me in his mercy, faithfulness, and love. I'm um, gonna I mean, so there's highlighted again, just that key there. You can see that just slightly in bold. Here is not according to Christ, and I just like I underline that in my Bible. Just thinking that at first looked just like like, like a parenthetical phrase, just a just a tack on to to him saying not those things. But then just realizing that is Paul's point is it's, it's with Christ in alignment with Christ or it's absent and empty and powerless because all power is in Christ. Um, and then the second part, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Um, that is, again, just powerful to me. Um, so I need to get a little bit Interactive here. Prepare for either be called on or call out. Um, I, one thing I like to do: I like to look at original languages in the Bible. But oftentimes, like we're we're just blessed with so many good English translations, and oftentimes there's not as much like I'll uncover some things in the original Greek. But oftentimes, just like looking at parallel uh, translations, just brings out the emphasis as well. So we're going to look at that. Um, so again, this is. Just verse 9, um, and, and it begins with, not according to Christ. That's the end of the f- verse previous. And so in the ESV, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Um, actually, sorry, 9 and 10. Can someone read the next one? I have this in, is there a someone under 18 that could call out this one? Any... Child in the room? Okay, anyone, child at heart? <laughs> Go ahead. Jacob, you got that? You want to try? You. Yeah, you're just right there, just from your seat. Can you read those last two lines, Jacob? Are those big enough? (laughs) It begins with all of God. Want to read that with me? Thanks. Okay, someone else from New King James. Go ahead, Terry. Mm-hmm. Okay, someone else, NIV. Thanks. One more. This paraphrase I like as well. What else? (laughs) Hmm. I love how it talks about the emptiness of the universe. It's not that the the universe would be Meaningless. It's not that the universe would be uh, like spin into chaos or entropy or like it's the universe wouldn't be there. There would not be, it would be void. Um, all right. Okay. And, and then the next section here, um, just he's talking, he dives into what are some of those things that the, Col- that the Colossians are struggling with? Talks about circumcision. He talks about um, how this is something new, right? I think the the Judaizers, the the Jewish um, influencers here, were certainly probably recommending the new Christians to be circumcised. And Paul deals with that a whole lot more in some of his other books. And I think that's worth going into at some other time, Um, but he makes the succinct point here that you have been circumcised. It's just different now. Um, He says, In him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. So baptism was part of that, that that's a sign of uh, this new circumcision having happened in your life. Uh, in which you were also raised with him through faith and in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So just as Christ was raised from the dead, we're raised from the dead and we're raised into a life that's different. There was, we were uncircumcised, he's calling it, in our previous, and we had this body of flesh. And in this new life, there's a spiritual circumcision that went on. And so when someone imposes the bodily circumcision, like the Jews are still encouraging the Christians to do, he's saying, no, it, there's, there's a, it's, it's null now. It's void. It, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. Uh, and you who are dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses. Um, previously, circumcision showed that we were going to be favored by God, accepted by God. Um, but that's already happened in Christ um, by the canceling and rec- the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Um, I hope you see here-, here too. He's not just, I think, talking about the Jewish pressures. He's talking. I think about the Greek pressures too. He goes into that further and later after verse fifteen more about what exactly they were being pressured in, what those elemental spirits were, and of uh, do not touch and do not handle. He goes into that more. But here, I think he's saying, right? Those are things that you would do if there were forces you had to guard yourself against, and you don't have to guard yourself against those things. Christ took those things on. He took it all on, and he triumphed over them. Um, Just to call out circumcision a little more, because Paul does that, um, it was a mark, um, but something different. Um, So in the old type of mosaic uh, circumcision that was a ritual of the Jews, um, Right there were identifiers of what that was. In the new there's corresponding attributes there as well. And Paul's not saying that we don't need to have that identification. He's saying that happens at the spiritual level, but not just cuz that's not just that that's invisible, but that's what's most meaningful. Um in the, at the end of the Old Testament, the prophets are talking about this. They're talking about how there's going to be a circumcision of our heart. Because that's what God was trying to get at anyway. It wasn't the Mosaic. The Mosaic law wasn't getting at the heart of it. Right? If you get that pun. Like, it wasn't fixing people's hearts. Um, and, and the Jews used and abused, I think, even circumcision in all those ways. They, they told their enemies to get circumcised so they'd be weak and they could kill them. They, like, they did all kinds of things, and, and it, it wasn't circumcision that just was this, um, you know, the switch to turn people holy and acceptable to God. It did not do that. Paul is saying this new circumcision is a sign that you have been made holy in the interior parts that actually matter. Um. That it that it actually affects, um, and it, because our souls need to be made right with God, and that cannot happen with something that's physical. Um, it's something inside that needs to be reconciled with God, and that's what's happened with this um, circumcision. Um, I'm going to skip through this part. Just looking at the bigger picture of Colossians, there's so much that is going on there as well. Um, so what is it that's really competing with Christ? I think that's what was helpful for me to mull over now is what's the knowledge that's really competing? Um, we can look at some of these verses, and I'm going to let you skim through those or jot those down. But it talks about knowledge in the Bible, um, how we're called to it, um, folly. Um, Is not a really woman. She's simple and knows nothing. I think that mostly just says, avoid folly. Like, folly isn't it. Like, folly is going to be where you typically would go. Knowledge can save you from that. Like, get understanding. Get understanding. Don't give in. Don't be a fool. Um, And God's desire is that knowledge would cover the earth. His desire is that we would understand his knowledge and, and use it well um simon peter saying to whom should we go you have the words of eternal life i i just think what what would it have looked like and felt like to be hearing jesus walking around everything he was saying was true right everything he was saying was knowledgeable he understood how the world worked and you could walk around daily with him as disciple and he knew exactly how the world worked and how it was supposed to work, and how it worked in sync with the will of the Father. And he was living that out. Um, C.S. Lewis, in the Screwtape Letters, calls out this. There's a, a devil, two devils that are talking about how they can trick the Christian, really from, at this point, avoiding the church. And he says jargon not argument is your best ally in keeping him from the church and i think that is applicable to today so often we get caught up in jargon when christ as the truth and core of our walk with god is what we are to focus on and Jargon can so often mislead, and we come up with terms and terminology. And I think those are these, the philosophies and empty deceit that can creep in at our day. is, But they are, may not be according to Christ. That is the litmus test we need to have, is are they according to Christ? Um, and we need to call out that for ourselves, is what are we hanging on to? If it's not according to Christ, it may be jargon that's distracting us. So, why is there a crisis? Um, I, I think this is just ongoing. It's because from the very beginning, we have been in this world with the burden to know how this world works, to figure it out, but we don't know what to do with it. Um... And we create our own crises. Every time we invent something new, there's usually a crisis that (laughs) evolves with it, right? Um, We come up with new technologies, political endeavors, cultural endeavors, um, ways we can make things work better uh, ecologically, geographically. There's usually this kind of sour side on the back end of, We don't usually fulfill that very well. And, you know, you could, for homework, you look up the seven deadly sins and and what Jesus says outpours from the heart. Like, those are the things that sour our knowledge, right? We we gain knowledge and we are indebted to live out our knowledge responsibly, but we don't know how, um, what, is at stake, is Christ's incarnation in you. That's, that's the point. Jesus came down incarnating God in a body, um, the Word made flesh. Um, that's his desire for me and for us, is that he would live as I would live. Uh, there's an incredible... Passage, um, Dallas Willard describes, I think, he, uh, I think he, he flips kind of the WWJD idea a little bit. And I love how he just talks about that with, a, I think, an improved angle here. Uh, he says, as Jesus' disciple, I am learning from him how to lead my life as he would lead my life if he were I. You are learning from Jesus how to lead your life as he would lead your life if he were you. Yes, the very life you have. Women needn't worry about being excluded from that statement. He's referring to Jesus being a man. For specific reasons built into his mission, no doubt he needed to be a male. But apart from some localized circumstances, there isn't a person on this earth Jesus could not have been. He came in a lowly form and led a lowly life He relinquished supreme power. He learned to live in the kingdom of God as an ordinary human being. God was also an ordinary human life. Incarnation does not concern just the events of his conception and birth. It was the taking on of flesh in all its human meaning. He could live in your circumstances now. He could be you and still live in the kingdom of God. Right? You can be his apprentice, his apprentice, no matter who and where you are. It is as his personal friends living interactively with him that we know the truth and have the freedom, the power over evil that comes with such knowledge. The knowledge that is most powerful for us is that we have truth and freedom through Christ, which is power over evil. Um, As we look at... How to engage in this? We go back to, in Colossians, what Paul's premise, his whole premise was, is the identity of Jesus. And he says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in all heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is above all, He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. So he's just talking about how our most powerful knowledge, that every other knowledge needs to be within, or it's without Christ, it's without power, is that Christ is supreme, and he won. Um, he disarmed, he All the forces of the world that take things over, the way that greed and pride and envy and sloth and lust and all these things take over the mechanisms of our world and then we refer to them as, well, something went sour, something went wrong, like these forces are beyond our control. It's because it's in the human heart that we have continually soured the knowledge that we were to be responsible with. Jesus took responsibility for those things. He nullified them through the cross. He disarmed them. But he did that for us. We can't do that. We can't take those things on. But as we accept him as the ruler of our life, those things, uh, we're able to live in accepting that they have been defeated. Um, and we need to live a confessional life. So just to think, what, what is it then that we need to confess? What is it the things that we need to um, acknowledge that we do not live well, that, that we have taken knowledge too far? We know things, and we have soured it by our desires. We've soured it and turned it on its end, or just not living responsibly with these things because— um, how the devil would run the world by keeping us in selfishness and self-centeredness has entered into our own lives Um, I hmm, I love uh, the answer really is in how we commit to have a denial of self through our life just like Jesus did as well in the way that he lived Confessionally, before his God, um, he lived not pursuing his will, but pursuing the father's will. That's a way that we can have all things made new in us as well. Um, the part I wanted to end on this morning. Um, George McDonald has a quote here of, "We must be jealous." For God against ourselves. And look well to the cunning and deceitful self, ever cunning and deceitful, until it is informed of God, until it is thoroughly and utterly denied, and God is to it also all in all, till we have left it quite empty of our will and our regard, and God has come into it. Until then, its very denials, its very turning from things dear to it for the sake of Christ, will tend to foster its self regard and generate in it yet a uh, deeper self-worship. While it, is not self, while it is not denied and only thwarted, because we can keep things up at length and not deny them, we may, through satisfaction with conquered difficulty and supposed victory, minister yet more to its self-gratulation. Uh, a thousand ways will the self-delude delude, delude ourselves in a thousand ways befool its own slavish being. Christ sought not his own will. He sought not anything but the will of the Father. And we have to grow diamond clear, true as the white light of the morning, hopeless task were it not that he offers to come himself and dwell in us. Um, living out a denial of self and saying that Christ is the victor and not us is hopeless unless he's inside of us which is what he's done. He has dwelt in us, he's promised himself to us, and he's defeated all other powers and rulers and authorities by God through Christ. Let's consider how we can live that out this week. Um, Again, I encourage you to pursue how you can live that out reflectively in your own life. Uh, John Flavel says, Above all the studies in the world, study your own hearts. Waste not a minute more of your precious time about frivolous and unsubstantial controversies. Leave trifling studies to such as have line, a timeline on their hands and know not how to enjoy it. Remember, you are at the door of eternity and have other work to do. Those hours you spend upon heart work in your closets are the golden spots of all your time and will have the sweetest influence up to your last hour. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for uh, the model you've sent us. It's something we could not have invented on ourselves and not something we could not have invented uh, or lived out at all. Uh, it was your Son. Uh, your very self came and embodied human flesh and lived out uh, a selfless life, one that we could not live, um, that um, redeemed us through Christ's sacrifice um, and, and now enables us to live a life that we trust and know you have promised to make new bit by bit more and more as we pursue uh, your victory, not our own, not the pursuits of the world, and help us as we seek to discern those things and the pressures, the jargon, the voices around us, um, that you are the truth and what is in Christ remains, everything else is empty and void. Christ, things in your name. Amen.